welcome to the Jewish Executive Leadership Speaker Series, the Schmooze Podcast. We are joined today by Andrew Silverman, Chief Revenue Officer of American Airlines Center, and Joshua, Joshua Ratner, the Executive Vice President of America's Operations for PIMCO. Uh, welcome, guys. How are you guys doing? Great. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having the us. Honor is, the honor is ours. So let's, let's, get the, let's get this ball rolling. So uh, let's start with Andrew, um, and then we'll get to Josh. If you could tell us your uh, bio in three minutes or less, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, Andrew Silverman. I'm the Chief Revenue Officer at American Airlines Center. Don't want to age myself, but I, I lose count. I'm on my 35, 36 year in sports, so I've been here for a long time. Um, I started actually started as an intern at the old Great Western Forum. If you guys have watched Winning Time on HBO, you remember where that was, the old forum. Um, went to USC as a business marketing grad. Spent eight years with the LA Kings. I was actually there when Wayne Gretzky got traded. That's how long I go back. Um, worked there for eight years. There was a little bit of a change of ownership at that time, couple bankruptcies, time to leave. I worked for Disney Sports for four and a half years for the Ducks and the Angels. If you remember at that time, Disney owned both teams. Did that for four and a half years as group sales manager and then director of sales and then moved to Columbus, Ohio. SoCal native going to Ohio is the land of the Buckeyes, but did that for three years, open up the new arena in Columbus. So that was an expansion team at that time. And I was the VP of sales for the Blue Jackets. Uh, moved to Texas to work for my old boss, who was at the LA Kings, a gentleman named Greg McRoy. I worked for the Texas Rangers as the VP of sales and I ended up as the uh, EVP of sales sponsorship and ticketing for the Rangers. Left to go work for another um, nice Jewish boy, David Sampson in Miami. Um, I have a good story about that too. We'll talk about that later, but it was there for just about four years and I opened up the new ballpark there. Um, so two new ballparks, two new arenas. It's take some time off your life. Um, obviously, you probably know the story of the Marlins, a little bit of a turmoil at the end of that uh, new ballpark and Came here almost 10 years ago, 10 years in June, to be the chief revenue officer at the American Airlines Center, just real quick on the AAC. When the AAC was built over 20 years ago, Ross Perot at the time and Tom Hicks put together a company to oversee and run the building called Center Operating Company, and that is who I work for. We are owned 50% by Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, and 50% by Tom Gillardi, the owner of the Dallas Stars. So we work on behalf of an ownership board. Um, and I'm kind of in the middle of both of both the teams assisting on premium and sponsorships for the American Airlines Center, one of the top three to five busiest buildings in the United States, top 10 in the world. So when you look at arena rankings, we're generally always top five, top 10 in the world. We are a destination market for arenas. Uh, you probably saw Dallas was just named as the best sports business city by the Sports Business Journal a couple of weeks ago. Great market, great arena, two relevant teams and a lot of concerts. Ending with the final Women's Final Four this weekend in Dallas. So should be a great weekend. I'm excited to be on the call. Glad to have you. Uh, Josh, same question, bio, three minutes or less. So uh, my background uh, started as a lawyer. Uh, so out of law school from the University of Chicago, um, I started uh, as a corporate associate uh, at Ropes and Gray in Boston. Um, when I started there, I was expecting to do mergers and acquisitions. I was 
uh, IPOs. And at that time, uh, the market had tanked. So they started taking uh, corporate first year associates and having them do something that I had never even heard of before, which was asset management. Um, and so I uh, ended up focusing on mutual funds after a year. My wife unexpectedly got her residency in Chicago instead of Boston, where we were uh, hoping that we were going to be. Um, and so I ended up moving uh, to Skadden Arps in Chicago. And uh, since at that time, I'd mostly been doing asset management. Um, when I uh, spoke to the people at Skadden about uh, opportunities, uh, they ended up putting me in their asset management division. Uh, so I spent about uh, three and a half years at Skadden. Um, at that time, my uh, daughter was born and I was ready to move on from the law firm life uh, and got a job at PIMCO, um, which is a large asset manager uh, in Newport Beach, California. Um, at the time, we had about uh, $600 billion under management, um, and um, which I thought was a lot. Uh, but, but over time, uh, PIMCO has actually grown significantly. And at this point, uh, we now have about $1.7 trillion under management, predominantly focused on fixed income, uh, on bonds. Um, my role at PIMCO, so I've been at PIMCO 17 years. My roles at PIMCO have changed a number of times. Um, so I started out, as I said, more focused on asset management, uh, on our mutual funds. Um, after a few years, um, they asked me to relocate to New York um, as we were building out a broker-dealer. Uh, they asked me to uh, become chief legal officer of our new broker-dealer. Um, I held that role then uh, for a few years after that, uh, when they asked me to also take on uh, leadership of our fund's um, legal team, um, and eventually uh, became chief legal officer of our entire uh, fund complex, uh, based on our publicly offered funds, uh, which are you know, roughly four to $500 billion of publicly offered funds. Um, and then uh, about four years ago, um, I was asked to move over to the business side and now manage um, our America's operations unit, uh, which includes the business side, of our funds unit, um, as well as what we call our client operations, which includes separate accounts, um, our investment operations, uh, which is how we actually do the investing for the funds, um, or, um, as well as our data operations. So that's all things data oversight, um, as well as our transformation unit. So I'm responsible both for the running of the business as well as the changing of the business. Currently based out of New York, but spend a significant amount of time on the West Coast as well. So I'm pretty much bi-coastal these days. So Josh, one of the last things you mentioned is change. Um, question for Andrew and then Josh. Uh, how has your industry changed over the last four years? A lot of things I think have changed in our society, in our lives, personal and professional lives. But how has, has your industry changed over the last few years and how do you see it evolving going forward? Andrew and then Josh? Well, I don't want to go into the COVID time, but you know, there were certain industries that just got killed. Um, obviously, we were one of them. You know, it is interesting because if you're an arena or a team, you were shut down. We were like the airline. We were we were we had zero money coming in. Um, but it was interesting as it came out of of, of COVID, things changed. Um, I, I think our business has never been healthier. Um, I think people appreciate the live entertainment space more than before because for 
X amount of time, we weren't doing anything. So if you talk to my buddy at the Yankees, you talk to people at the Chicago, LA, I think everyone in the live entertainment industry is as healthy as it's ever been. I think people appreciate um, um, that even more. As it relates to just working, I think the business environment has changed. I was just at a Dallas Chamber conference today talking about about uh, recruitment and new work. And, you know, the young the, the young person wants different things. They do, you know, they still want financial, you know, salary, but they, you know, the whole, you know, modified work schedule has certainly changed. We've all gotten smarter. Look at us today. We wouldn't be doing a call or resume four years ago. That would have been like, what? How do we do that? So it certainly changed as a policy recruitment and staffing. It's hard for us because we are an industry that needs people to be there. But, you know, most of my sponsors and people that I deal with a remote, it certainly changed. But as it relates to my business, it's the healthiest that it's ever been. If you ask across other teams and other arenas, unless they're a struggling franchise, they're going to tell you the same thing. So we're fortunate. Josh? Yeah, so I I would say the, the, the industry has changed, but not to a significant degree. Um, you know, I would say PIMCO is uh, very much on the conservative side that we do want people in the office as much as possible. Um, I actually very rare, rarely work from home. Um, I'm working from home right now, but uh, but generally I fairly rarely uh, work from home. And our portfolio managers in particular, there's a strong desire to have that in-person collaboration. You know, with that said, I'd say PIMCO is more on the conservative side of that. And, you know, more people in our industry are doing things like 3-2, um, or, or even more uh, significant amount of work from home. Um, you know, I'd say maybe the one of the biggest things that is changing um, is just the regulatory landscape. Uh, in a post-COVID environment, um, the SEC in particular is getting um, increasingly focused on a lot of new regulation. And um, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we have in our industry is trying to find that fine line between you know, being a regulated entity and not going too far that it ends up, you know, hurting investor returns. So um, I'd say that's a big area of continued focus for us. Uh, and for me in particular, it's something that I continue to uh, to work with regulators and, and try to educate to, to make sure that we end up in the right uh, side of the right amount of regulation, but also protecting our investors. Only one more thing that I should add is thought about is the uh, digital transformation of ticketing. Um, you know, it, it was a fight four years ago, three years ago, I'll give New York as an example. For the Yankees, we're fighting to go all digital, you know, no paper tickets. COVID changed all that. Um, it's really important now. If you go to a game or you go to an event, you will never have a printed ticket anymore, but you, we get to control the data. It's a good way to control bots and, and brokers and so forth. So that the digital ticketing has completely transformed. That's one of the real positives that came out of COVID was it gave a a good reason for teams to completely get rid of all non-digital ticketing. So that's been a huge change. It's been a good change. Question for Josh. Um, Josh, what do you think of the the, the collapse of um, of, uh, of uh, the bank in, in uh, the Silicon Valley Bank? And uh, how do you how do you see that affecting things moving forward? Yeah, so I I don't have a whole lot of specifics about the particular bank. I mean, I think there's been a fair amount of media. Um, and some in Congress saying that it was mismanaged. Um, I don't have any personal knowledge of it, but I guess what I would say is it it just shows um, how businesses are highly interconnected uh, because a run on one bank led to runs on multiple banks. And you know, again, the concern that I have it goes back to the earlier point about 
regulation um, is, you know, when these types of things occur, um, there's the immediate triage, but then there tends to also be an overreaction um, with additional regulation. And so I think, you know, it's probably ripe for the regulators to take a look at, at the other banks. Uh, what I do worry about, though, is the spillover into non-banks like mutual funds and whether, um, which had nothing to do with the, with the collapse, and whether that's going to lead to additional regulation uh, in other areas as well. Andrew, a uh, question from the, uh, the, uh, the chat from students. Uh, what do you think of sports figures who are, are on teams that say things that are, let's say, inappropriate, like anti-Semitic or um, you know, have racial undertones? And you know, can you control them? Do you just leave it? You know, what, do you, what do you do in a situation like that? What, what's, what, do you, what do you think? What are your thoughts? I assume you're talking about the player side, not not the front office side. Which you're talking business or, or or player or both. Maybe maybe get both sides if it's possible. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard. I mean, I'm Jewish. I've been in sports a long time. Grew up in L.A. I've seen it. It's there. Um, on the player side, it's tough. So, perfect example. Look at when the players the Mavericks got. You know, Kyrie Irving. Um, you know, I think the player side is so important because so much of their non-salary revenue comes from you know their endorsements and all they have is one reputation my old boss david sampson um at the marlins had a great quote because we had a player that sent a really inappropriate inappropriate tweet out and it's a great quote which is um you build you give your whole lifetime to build your reputation and one tweet can ruin it it's how it is you all you have to do is do one inappropriate thing i i can't speak on the player stuff as much but I can speak on the front office thing on side and I've worked and sports is an interesting industry because it's been backwards for so long. Um, you know, I've seen it. Um, it's getting better. Thankfully, um, it's getting better for females in the workplace. It's getting better for minorities in the workplace. Um, but you know, it, it's zero tolerance now when you work for a sports team, at least on the business side, which is how it should be. It absolutely how it should be. I mean, I'm in Texas. People say stupid things, um, and I correct them. But uh, player side is hard. You know, Kyrie is the example. We all know what he, you know, did in Brooklyn, and he comes here. And if he plays good, people seem to forgive him. But um, you know, the, I'm really happy to see the business side of sports clean up. Um, the Mavericks had a you probably read about it many years ago that you know really difficult toxic environment, and Sint Marshall came in and she cleaned it up and. A lot of female leaders and a lot of diversity. It's how it should be. It's how it should be in sports. People want to work for a company that represents them, that they see themselves at. So I'm happy the changes have happened. Um, as a Jewish man in sports, there's not a lot of people that are Jewish that I've worked with. So um, I'm, I'm very encouraged by the last three to four years of what's happened in sports. Player side's a little harder, but business side, it's been much better. Um, still issues still work, but it's getting better. You both work in uh, demanding industries, Josh in finance and Andrew in, in, in sports entertainment. Um, how do you balance work life? Um, what has it been like for you? Has it changed much during COVID? And what do you expect of your young employees, a lot of whom are, are, are listening out there, uh, Josh and then Andrew? Sure. I mean, it's, it is challenging. I mean, it, it, there's, there's no doubt about it that it is challenging. And I mean, I think it's critical to you know, to carve out time for family. Uh, so for example, as I said, I don't usually work from home, but today my 
my daughter was taking her driving test to get her license and thankfully she passed. Uh, but it was a big moment for our family. And uh, I wanted to be there uh, with her when she took her driving test. And so you just, you, you make the time, you block it out. Um, I take off um, for any Chagim. Um, I just think it's, you know, it's important to go to shul those days. And so, you know, that, that's what I do. And um, I use my, you know, I use, I have to use vacation time and sometimes to do it, but, but it's important to do that. And so I think, I think it is, it's setting those boundaries. Um, and I've never had any issues when you, when I try to do that. Now, I think it's also very easy if you don't set those boundaries, you could end up working every single hour, every single day. So I, I think it, part of it is, is having the courage to set those boundaries. Yeah. Josh is right. Um, you know, one thing I, when I speak to graduate classes, I just spoke to the Aggies, sports management classes, SMU. I tell the kids, I mean, generally speaking, you have to do what Josh did. Josh moved from Newport to New York. I can tell you that moving for, to better your career, we all have to better our career. Josh had an opportunity. I've had a lot of opportunities. Moving your family when you're young is difficult. It's not just the hour, but moving your family. You have to in sports. So for those who you want to work in sports, the chance of you to progress your career in the same market is rare. Generally, you're going to have to move your career. And that's operating as hard. If you want to work in sports, I'm at 90% of the games. Okay. I'm at every game and I'm always reachable. Um, Work-life balance is hard. Um, I would say that the most important thing you can do at a new job or a job is your boss. And hopefully your boss is understanding, like I'm sure Josh would be or I would be because we have kids and we understand that, hey, you know, my son's has some very stressful, he's got a bar mitzvah in a month and he has to go practice and he's going to say go. But a lot of places don't do that. It's tough. Sports is not an industry that you want to work in that Oh, I just want to stay in the same market. I don't want to work long hours. I don't want to work games. I want to be work nine to five. Don't work in sports. Um, go in another industry that's hard. And I'm, I know, Josh, I'm sure in the financial sector, whew, it's really tough. Yeah. Really, yeah, really, really, really. <laughs> All right. Well, Andrew, listen, like, I, I, I'm going to challenge you for a second. Just on behalf, I'm, I'm caught from the same cloth. I'm a hard worker. I made sacrifices for my career. I believe in what I'm doing. Yeah. But uh, somebody else might argue uh, to Josh and to you, Andrew, that, Maybe they want to be in finance and they they want to cut a, a, a nice lifestyle for themselves on the side and, and say for Andrew, like they want to be in sports and they want to do both. Can you do both? Is it possible? Do you got to give your all? Like, what do you both think? You want to go first, Josh? Yeah, I'm happy to. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it, it depends on the role. Um, there might be particular roles that are more nine to five type roles. It, my view, though, is if you want to climb the executive ranks and get to high level roles, you need to you, you need to sacrifice, and I and I agree with Andrew. Um, that may involve moving. Um, I've worked in Boston, Chicago, <laughs> Newport Beach, and New York, um, and I tend to go where there's a need from the company perspective. So it's less I think about me and where there and what the need is for the next opportunity. Um, but look, you know, are there roles that are more nine to five? Absolutely. But, you know, if you want to continue to climb the corporate ladder, there's sacrifices. That doesn't mean you have to sacrifice everything. It doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your family. But that also means sometimes late nights. It sometimes means working weekends um, to, you know, continue to advance to the next level. That's correct. That's I've always been perceived as one of the hardest working guys in the industry. And I, you know, and Josh is right. People, people notice that, right? They want hard workers. If, if, if you want to continue to progress, you know, I have to be at games. 
That's my job. You know, why do I have to be there? Because it's important for me to be there, because my staff sees there, because the team's executives see there. Um, and when Josh is right, if an opportunity arises and like there's a, a good job for you to have, if you don't take those jobs, they're going to see you as someone who just wants to stay at the same level and you'll get passed up with those opportunities. Um, that's that's kind of business, especially at sports. I'm sure it's fine. I know it's in finance as well. It's tough. Yeah. But I do love working games, so I'm not complaining. I don't mind walking around. And people are like, oh, my God, you work at a game. You get to watch Kyrie and Luca play every night. Yeah, I do. But honestly, at the games, I'll probably watch a minute or two of the game the entire night. So I don't actually watch the game. It's just at the game. Awesome. Um, I love what the response is. While we're on that note, what kind of qualities, if you're in that hiring space, would you look for in a potential hiree these days? What kind of characteristics are you are you trying to focus and concentrate in on? Are you zooming in on, um, Josh and then Andrew? Yeah. Um, so I I tend to focus on people who are smart, who are motivated, who are willing to take risks. Um, as I as yeah, I think we both have said. I mean, one one of the great qualities for leadership ultimately is flexibility. It's people who are willing to try new things. Um, and so you know. I like to see diverse experiences uh, through somebody's career. I like to see, you know, again, people who've tried different things and been successful in multiple roles. You know, in sports, you know, I talk a lot about this. I, I love experience too on a resume. I was talking about it today at a meeting. I'd rather have, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was at a game the other week and I met a young sales rep from a minor league hockey team in town. And instead of going to getting a graduate degree or spending more time at school, she's working as a, you know, as an intern at a sports team. I like experience that they, that they've worked at other teams, um, work during the summer. Um, when you're interviewing someone, you got to find that, that work ethic and something that separates them. And I love seeing the student that put himself through school or worked in the summer. Um, and has, have, has, has life experiences of doing things, um, been involved with their synagogue, been involved with their church, been, you know, a leader in their frat, anything that shows that they're a leader, they're hardworking, and they're different than the normal person. Um, I'm not looking for a four point. And I don't ask what your GPA is when I interview somebody. It's not important. You graduated A&M, congratulations, you must be smart. What did you do in the summer? Did you work in a sports information program? Did you, you know, what did you do? To better yourself with your with your community, what did you do? Nonprofit shows you you're a good person. So I think Joshua, looking for diversity of someone, look for some life experiences, not just someone who's a 4.0. On this subject, question from our students and alumni, which is a lot of people these days kind of jump around. Um, they're they're not so much into let's say loyalty, um, but they're more into let's say maybe something that pays them even a tiny bit more than what they're making right now. So how much, you know, it could be something like 500 bucks. They're willing to leave one job for a different one, which is okay. But how do you see that on a resume, uh, both Andrew and then Josh? Yeah, I mean, listen, I've moved around. I think like Josh has moved around. I can't blame anyone for bettering their career. The American Airlines Center seems to be the a great place to take, work there for a couple of years and then leverage it because we're a big name in sports. Um you know, I don't want to have someone, I think when I'm hiring a leadership position or a director or VP, you want to see that a little bit less. But if I'm hiring a young sales rep, you know, that's normal. I get that. Um, I moved around a lot too. So it's hard to blame somebody. But if obviously, if you're investing in a senior leadership position, it takes time to train someone. You don't want someone to be there for a year and to jump ship. But younger people, I did it. 
So I don't hold anyone um, accountable because they're trying to better themselves. Um, but obviously, if you have someone who's got five jobs in, you know, three years, it's a little bit of a red flag. A lot. Josh? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I think it, it depends on the role. I remember when I was more junior and we were hiring for certain like compliance roles and it was fairly normal that there would be a fair amount of churn in, in some of those roles. Um, but when you are looking for somebody in a senior leadership position, I mean, you generally do want somebody who you, you see has had that level of stability, um, especially if you're going to invest significant dollars in, you know, a very senior role. Question for you both. What has been the biggest challenge in your career? How did you deal with it? And what can we all today learn from it? Uh, Andrew and then Josh? Mm, that's, a, that's, a, that, that's a big question. My job is interesting because my success is generally so much to do with the performance on the ice, or on the field, on the court. And I generally, when you're Andy Silverman, they don't hire you to run the Stanley Cup champions or the Green Bay Packers. They put you in difficult situations. And I've been, I've moved my family. Look about moving to Miami. I moved my family to Miami. Not an easy place to live. Worked my butt off for a couple of years. And then they trade the entire team practically. It's hard. Team performance does not affect how I work because every day I have to go in between if the Stars lose and the Mavs lose, that's fine. I got to keep on working. I think the biggest challenge I've had in sports is just that it's an interesting industry. I've been through two owners going to jail. I've been through bankruptcies Two. I've been through owners selling half the team. Um, it's, it's a tough industry and it's out of your control. Um, but you just have to persevere. You have to keep positive. You have to be a good leader. And sometimes you have to look for a different position to get out of that industry or that team just because what sports brings you, which is it's, it's not easy. Only one team wins a year, right? Only one team wins. A lot of disappointed fans. So um, I think just the nature of sports, um, the nature of ownership in sports, um, it's very volatile. It's difficult. And you just have to overcome it and not knock it down. Yeah. So I guess what I would say is I've been through a number of uh, different crises in my career, uh, and each of those has its own challenges. So, you know, when I think back to the financial crisis, uh, we were working nights, weekends, get it, starting our day at three in the morning, every morning, not ending till very late at night. Mm. Uh, we then, a couple of years later, uh, our founder, Bill Gross, who had started the company, uh, suddenly left the firm and we had um, extraordinarily large number of clients very quickly leave. Um, again, nights, weekends. At that time, I was living in New York, had to spend a significant amount of time in California while we worked through that. And then COVID, um, which, you know, markets absolutely tanked. Um, and so in each of those circumstances, there was a lot of stress. Uh, there were a lot of, you know, difficult times where I wasn't able to spend as much time, let's say, with my family as I would have liked to. But that's where, you know, leaders step up. Uh, leaders, you know, motivate their teams through, you know, difficult times. And, you know, I'm you know, happy to say in each of those, we, we came out on the other side, I'd say in a better place than where we started. Next question, you, you've both kind of been, this is the second or last question before we get to our concluding one, which is, um, what is your motivation these days? You've both been in your industry for a while. You both had amazing careers. Like, what is your, where are you finding your mojo every day? Like, how do you, waking up in the morning, what's, what's getting you excited for the day? Uh, Andrew, then Josh? I, I still love going to work. If I didn't, I wouldn't be doing it. I, I still enjoy it. I, I get a lot of, um, um, I like 
being a good leader and inspiring my employees and to see them succeed makes me, uh, it, 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 it makes me happy. I have a lot of employees actually come back. Um, you know, I think the mark of a good leader um, is to treat other people how you'd want to be treated. And I've worked for some good bosses that have done that. Um, so I like, I like working with the younger staff. When I was younger, I was always one of the youngest. Now I'm the oldest. You know how that is. It's not fun anymore. But I, listen, I, I, I enjoy going to work. I enjoy working with my staff and being supportive and being a good leader. I also hope one day to get a ring on my finger. So it's been what, how many years? 30, 35, 36, and I've yet to have a championship ring. So I guess that should be the ultimate answer to win a championship. Unlike my Yankees, but he's got like six rings. Um, I would love to have a, uh, a championship ring. I don't think the Mavs are going to do it this year. They're struggling and the stars are starting to do their late season slide. So we do have women's final four and Drake coming. So, and my favorite singer, John Mayer. So I guess I'll have to live with that. But um, if you're in sports, you're not working to get a ring, then you're probably giving the wrong answer, right? That's what we all are there for. Love it. Josh. Yeah. Look, I still love to learn uh, every single day. Um, it was part of what motivated me uh, to change roles when I have, and including coming over to the business side, because I, you know, every time I feel like I'm an expert in a particular area, it just makes me want to pick a different area and then learn more about it because it only makes you, you know, ultimately that uh, much more valuable. Um, look, I uh, ultimately, uh, we're in a fiduciary business. So our success is tied to our client's success. So um, that makes me able to look into the mirror every single day that I know that, you know, ultimately the things that we're focused on are to help our investors save for retirement, save for their children's college. And so it's inspiring to me to, you know, come into work every day and continue to, you know, give our best and uh, help lead our team to give our best. Thank you, both. Last question for me. Um, what does being Jewish mean to you? And you know, keep in mind, I actually just read yesterday that the ADL has reported that anti-Semitism is up uh, 36% in our country, but really rapidly up in our campuses. We work with grad students around North America. Um, so what does what being Jewish mean to you? Uh, Josh and then Andrew? Sure. Um, so uh, growing up, my, uh, my father was a rabbi uh, in uh, Billings, Montana and uh, Asheville, North Carolina. So I was um, lived in some very small Jewish communities. Uh, when we lived in Billings, uh, we faced a fair amount of anti-Semitism. My dad got death threats as the only uh, Jewish person in town who was wearing a yarmulke and very identifiably Jewish. Um, so Judaism has always been a fundamental part of who I am uh, every step of the way. Um, and, you know, I, um, you know, I try, I, I go to synagogue almost every week. Um, we keep kosher. Um, it's, it's a big part of who I am. And it's also something that I've tried to bring along with me as, as part of my work life. Um, you know, I've gotten, um, by speaking up, uh, PIMCO to start, you know, providing kosher food at events. Uh, we now recognize on our internal Slack channel, um, each of the Jewish holidays, as well as, well as other uh, religions holidays. Uh, we celebrate Jewish American Heritage Month. And these are all things we weren't doing it before I raised my hand and, you know, pushed for some of these things. We have a multicultural group uh, where I joined the steering committee mainly to focus on, you know, have the firm focus more on things like religious diversity. So I, I guess what I would say just 
overall is, yeah, it's, it's a big part of who I am. And it's also, I think it's completely appropriate uh, to bring your Judaism with you to work um, and to, you know, make sure that the firm is, is recognizing some of these areas. And, you know, I've had a lot of other Jewish people at my company, you know, be very appreciative of, of you know, the steps that we've taken to make uh, PIMCO more inclusive, um, not only for different, you know, ethnic minorities, but also for religious minorities. Very impressive, Josh, that's for sure. My dad wasn't a rabbi. He, they said he used to look like one when I was younger, but, um, you know, being, grew up in Huntington Beach, you know, I think when I had Barbara Mitzvah, no one knew what it was. The only kid in my school. I live in Texas. Interesting, you know, red, you know, generally a red state except for the cities. I, for me, it's a sense of pride. You know, last name is Silverman. It's, you know, you're Jewish, which is great. Uh, and like my kids have a, a sense of pride about it. Um, so I've always been proud to be Jewish. I will continue to be that way. Um of a good story, being Jewish can help. But when I was in Miami, he had in, David had interviewed for that position for a year, a year. And I was in the middle of the interview and we were just hitting it off. And I said, maybe it's a Jewish thing. And he looks at me and he goes, it is. So <laughs> um, you never know. Maybe it helps you get a VP title one day. But, uh, you know, it, it is, you know, as my brother said, I'm not saying it helped that you were Jewish, but it didn't hurt. So, you know, a lot of people in sports, there's not many of us that, are Jewish in, in the industry. And I think we kind of stick together, a lot of pride. Um, and um, I, I, I applaud what Josh is doing at his company because that's a true leader uh, when you do that and you kind of, you know, the, the DEI for not just Judaism, but for the female employees and black employees, Hispanic employees, that's fantastic to do that because people want to work in a place that resembles them. It doesn't have to be what it was 10, 15 years ago. So great job to Josh there. That's impressive. Thanks. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. We're up to our quick fire round. These are one word answers. You guys ready? I like the one word. I felt like I'm on a talk show. All right. We'll do Josh and then Andrew. Uh, favorite movie of all time? Star Wars. Andrew? Um, good fellas. Although I'm a, such a Star Wars dork, Mandalorian. I'm dying to Mandalorian. is so good. But <laughs> a, a good fellas. So good. I haven't, I haven't started this season yet. Don't say anything. Spoiler oh, alert. Beyond good. But you have, to watch, you have to watch Clone Wars cartoons to, to know what, how good it is. So, sorry. Um, Josh and Andrew, uh, favorite series you've watched in the last year? Uh, Shtissel. Oh, awesome. Over the last year, it's, it's Mandalorian. The new Mandalorian episode is fantastic. I'm really enjoying it. Favorite place of vacation? Um, Israel. Andrew? Um, any place where I get a good long left point break, I like to surf. So little you know about my big surfer. I'm from Huntington Beach, not Newport, but from Huntington. So I love surfing. Sure. Um, Josh, a favorite uh, executive out there you most respect? I'm not having one jump to mind, I, I have to say. I mean, <laughs> the, the, I, think, I think a lot of executives have their flaws. I, maybe come back to me on that one. I actually, I don't, I don't necessarily have one. No, no, no problem, Andrew. I, I agree with Josh. I'm going to go back. The best executive I've worked for was Nolan Ryan. Really? Yeah. Is is uh, I remember when I left and I had a dinner for all executives there, and I told him you're the you know obviously the arguably the best pitcher of all time, but for a great for, for what a great pitcher you are, you're a better human being. I would argue. I don't know if he was the best pitcher of all time, but offline discussion. Um, best fastball pitcher of all time. Favorite Jewish holiday. <laughs> I'll let the it's good speak on that one. It, it's tough because I I love Hanukkah, uh, but 
to me, Passover is more special and getting the people, you know, all the family around the table. And, uh, you know, Andrew, I, I you agree. Yeah, because, you know, living in a Huntington Beach as a kid, Hanukkah was a very confusing holiday for when all your friends are not Jewish. You don't understand what's going on. So it was confusing. I don't have the best memories that my mom would get, get a tree once in a while. I was very confused. I like I like Passover. Because also like here, I get invited. I just got invited to a friend's house with like 40 people for Passover. It's very communal. Come over. You know, a lot of friends in the area. You're Jewish. It's nice. It's a special hall. It's a special day. Favorite Jewish food? Okay, so um, I, I went to University of Chicago, and they had a debate every year, Latkes versus Homentaschen. Uh, I, I would tend to go on the Homentaschen side, but the, it was these, these great debates where they would get, you know, a humanities professor one year, a law school professor, and they would do like the debate like within their, you know, kind of their expertise area. So I, I always kind of go back and forth, lock of the home and touch. Oh God, I love potato, a good potato locket, but I'm sorry because I don't get good ones ever. But if someone can make me a good Jerry's Deli type matzo ball soup with oh, carrots and chick, I miss that. That's the one thing. Like, what do you really want? What do you miss when you go to New York? I got to get a good matzo ball soup because <laughs> this. Again, I'm in Texas. You don't get good matzo ball soup in Cindy's Deli and Capel. Last question. What is one word you associate with Jewish? I would say family. Um, it's, it's just such an important part of my growing up and my family. And then just with, with my kids, it's a really important part of you know, everything that we do. Awesome. Yeah. Andrew? Yeah, dedication, hard work. I think we're you know, uh, since you took family, that's a great one. We have a lot of pride in our kids and college and educating our children, which is so important to us. I think it's a great tradition we've passed down. But with that comes you know, hard work and dedication. I think you can see from Josh's talking how hard he works, it sounds like, and same mm -hmm. way. I love it. I love that part of our culture. And, Josh and, and compassion, compassion, too. I think we're in compassion. Compassion for, for, for all cultures and all nationalities. I think we're a, a wonderful religion for that. Agreed. Love it. Josh and Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today on the Schmooze, the podcast. We really appreciate you guys. Thanks all.